The Bible talks about us learning how to walk with the Lord. And once you've learned how to walk naturally in this old body, you probably don't even think about it now. Except the older that you get, it's easier for you to stumble and fall over end tables, <laughs> fall out of bed, you know, all kinds of things. Because the older we get, it won't be long before somebody will be putting us in nursing homes and having to take care of us. You're talking about getting back in your childhood. <laughs> We're going back to babyhood. But perfect fear casts out love. Don't let fear of being a failure ruin your life. I've said this before, but I didn't originate it. I would rather aim at something and miss than aim at nothing and hit it. At least I aimed at something. And I even shared this with somebody today. Someone once told me not to bite off more than I can chew. Anybody ever tell you that? I said, I'd rather choke on greatness than nibble on mediocrity. I'd rather choke on greatness. Striving, biting off more than, I'd rather have a plate that's too full. Running over than I have a plate with nothing on it. As some people get older, they want to take more off their plate, more off their plate, more off their plate. And after a while, there's nothing on the plate. You got a plate. We got time to live. But don't take everything off the plate. Ask the Lord to give you more strength and grace to bear more of what you want to get done. Remember, I mentioned this one time. We started pouring sand up here on this podium. And we poured the sand, and it gets higher and higher and higher. Now, you know you can only put so much sand on it because sooner or later it's going to start running over the edges. Right? It's going to run over the edges. So what should we do? Stop pouring sand or broaden the base? If we broaden the base, we can keep pouring on more sand. You can keep doing more if you can believe that God will give you the grace to do it. And it's better to burn out than rust out. You ever heard that before? I'm just burn out, just burn out. What are you doing? Nothing. Do all that you can while you can because there will be a day when there's nothing we can do. There may become the time when the body just refuses. Alarm goes off. All right, body, time to get up. I'm not moving. Get out of this bed. I will not. And you'll try to throw your leg over the side of the bed and it won't move. Because it knows what you want to do. And it don't want to go. Have you opened up that refrigerator and you look at that thing and there's a big old slice of chocolate pie in there. And that thing looks at you and says, eat me. So, no, I can't do that. Come on, just a little taste. I'm an eclair. <laughs> and you know that your body can dictate to you what you're going to do. It is a good servant, but it's a bad master. Don't let your body become your master. Look at number six. Sow the seed and reap the harvest. Now look at this verse. It's so important. Look in John chapter 4. The Gospel of John chapter 4. Now you know that Jesus had just went to Samaria to see the, the woman there. She was um, coming about noontime to get some water. Now generally they would come early in the morning or in the evening, but it's, uh, well, 
she had a certain, maybe a reputation, I don't know. She just happened to be married five times, living with a man that wasn't her husband. And Jesus says, I got to go by there. And he goes by and sees this woman. Now, this woman was the link to reaching a whole bunch of men in a city. Because if he gets this woman, she's the link to reach a whole bunch more. That's what happened. The disciples, they had already stopped off at Burger King. They got them something to eat. They came back. They said, you need anything to eat? And he says, no, I'm full. He said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. See what it says there? In the, uh, verse 31, in the meanwhile, his disciples asked him, say, Master, eat. But he said to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him out to eat? Did you bring him a sandwich? I didn't bring him one. Did you bring him something? Evidently he was talking about something else. Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. You ever hear people talk about, Well, I go to church, but all I get is that milk. I want some meat. Well, if you want meat, that's sold out there. That's reaping the harvest. If you're mature in the Lord... That means you don't have to be spoon-fed. You see, the meat is the doing the will of God. That's what really satisfies. This is what really is where it gets deep in the Word. So the more you know, it should motivate and challenge you to do this more than anything else in the world. This is what Jesus was saying, this is what satisfies me. This is what I came for. God only had one son, and he was a missionary. I wonder what he wants us to be. Follow me and I will make you. You don't believe that. You don't believe that, do you? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I had a girl in our college. She said, that's my favorite verse. Because <laughs> often we would have them stand up and give their favorite verse. One of them stood up, greet one another with a holy kiss. So we had to work on a few people, you know. You remember uh, Michelle's, uh, I can't remember her last name now, but it was Michelle. She came to school, and uh, she was blonde, cute girl. And um, she was standing outside the church, and I walked out the door, and I looked over, and she was standing there. I said, are you staying out of trouble? And she didn't say with a smile. She said, I've never been so out of trouble in all my life. I beheld a student that was giving me the impression that she wouldn't mind getting in a little trouble. Because, <laughs> you know, we watch everything they do, everything, who you date, and don't anything. And uh, you say, you really regulate their lives like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, don't you trust them? No. Well, don't you learn to trust them? Yeah. When they leave college, they're on their own. That's why they're there. We watch them like a hawk. Here, this woman comes to the well. And Jesus says, you know, if you knew who I am, do you know who I am? If you knew who I was and the gift that I have, you would have asked of me and I would have given you living water. She says, give me some of this water that I didn't come here to draw. She says, where's your bucket? Where's your rope? And this well, it's deep. So he was talking about something else. But she trusted the Lord. She ran into the city, told the men, they all come a running out. Disciples showed up and he used that. They're hungry, so they went and got something to eat. It's showing you that there's something more important than that. 
So he says here in verse 20, uh, 35, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I send to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. This is the food for the Christian to eat too. See, we eat and feed from the Word of God, and then we go get the meat. And it's the people we reach. See in verse 36, And he that reapeth receiveth wages. The Lord promises to pay soul winners. One of these days, we're going to be paid off. If you really believe this, and remember I said this before, if I was to offer you $1,000 for every soul you win to Christ, you probably would feel that God is calling you into full-time Christian work. But remember, when you get to heaven, that soul is worth an awful lot of money, and God is willing to pay soul winners. He didn't talk about just paying people just to come sit soaking sour. He's talking about those who want something. Now, if you go to work and you make money and you come to church and you give money to help a ranch and the Reformers Unanimous or the Internet and, or the radio broadcast and you give it for the ministry of the Internet so we can win more soul, your time is what life is made out of. So life is time. So when you spend your life God is going to pay you because it's your life that made the money. You spent the time. And then you use that for the Lord's honor and glory. God is going to reward you. One sows. Somebody else may reap. It's God that saves the soul. I've never saved anybody yet. Neither have you. But the Lord is going to reward those. You're doing it for the Lord. He talks about for the gospel's sake, for Jesus' sake. So we do it for those reasons why we do it. So is it worth it? It is worth it. And see there in verse 36 where it says, And gather fruit that remain. This is also found in John 15, fruit that remains. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So bearing fruit, much fruit, more fruit depends on your Union with the Lord. And you bear fruit. Does God expect every branch in Him to bear fruit? You read John 15 and you'll see. That's what God expects. Now, this is why we do what we do. It's for the sake of souls. All right, look at the next statement. Look at number seven. Number seven, see your reward there producing enthusiasm here and now. You say, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 8, it makes this statement that every man shall receive his own reward according to his what? His own labor. So you're going to be rewarded. So picture yourself at the judgment seat of Christ where God is going to reward you. And picture those people that will be there because you preached the gospel, you gave, you helped, you did what you could for the sake of the gospel. The Bible talks about they are your crown of rejoicing. Let that joy that you have at that moment be your motivating power now. Do it now because when you get there, you'll wish you had. Doesn't that make sense? You have to learn how to think. If you don't focus upon the future, past this life, you're not going to have the right purpose in this life. 
See, there's a divine perspective and a human perspective. We have to see things the way God says it is. And this is temporary, and we don't have much time left. We may get 70 years, three score and ten. Duh. Me and Al's already done gone over that. Al's way over that. He's in the twilight zone. He's what they call on borrowed time. He's already 86, is it? Is it 86 years old, still teaches Sunday school class, and still going strong. But that's because he got married chasing him. You ought to see, he tells him about that bullwhip that she has. Number eight, proper environment is the seedbed for growth. Picture, for example, and understand this. This world is full of briars and thorns. And we know from the parables of Matthew 13, briars and thorns choke the tender plants. Here you are, you trusted Christ as your Savior, but if you stay in the world, you're going to be choked by the things of the world. And you're not going to accomplish what God wants. So what you need to do is get in the right environment that is conducive for strong growth. This is why you need church. Did you know that you say, well, if I'm strong today and I didn't have church, I'll be just as strong. You won't last long. You don't stay as strong. You don't stay as focused. Because who's the one that says, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together? As some have... And they're still saved, but they're not going to be as strong as they ought to be. And that's why he says in chapter 10 of Hebrews in verse 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Because you see, rewards is a result of what you do. And what you do is a result of your confidence. Don't cast away your confidence. Always Keep believing what God says to keep yourself strong. Keep yourself strong. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. Keep yourself strong in the grace of God. He also makes a statement in the book of Jude. Building up your holy faith. Building up yourselves. Having compassion. Pulling them out of the fire. This is how we're supposed to think. So you see, to be a successful consistent soul winner, there has to be steps in your development, steps in your understanding so that you can keep doing the job year after year after year after year so that you don't change. I was talking to somebody not long ago and hadn't seen him in about 30 years. And they heard me speak. And they said, you ain't changed a bit. You're just like you used to be 30 years ago. I said, that was 40 years ago. <laughs> What's interesting is I been going through some notes because of the, uh, a doctor that I want to get. And so i got to redo this book called uh, uh, The Gospel Driven Man. So going through that, did you know it's like re being refreshed on how I used to think? What, 32 years ago? It was done in 1982, I think. She's going through all mine. And she's typing and really helping me out tremendously. I couldn't get it done without her. But to see how I used to think 30-something years ago, and then I taught it for about 10 years before I wrote the book. And it seemed like this is exactly where I am today. Like nothing has changed. But truth doesn't change. 
our purpose and our goal in life, it shouldn't change just because we're getting older. But your environment is so important. Stay around people that help and challenge you to do the things you ought to do. Whatever you're supposed to do with your life, stay around that. Otherwise, you are going to have problems. That's the reason for number nine. Because if you don't, you're going to stumble. A man who stumbles is because generally he's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Living in Colorado, we used to say, you know, it's not those great big old boulders that's the problem when you're trying to climb a mountain. It's those loose pebbles. I've climbed many of them. And it's those loose little pebbles on the side of the hill that you're trying to walk, and your feet just slip, slide, and so on. And if you didn't watch yourself, you could fall all the way down that mountain. But there were big boulders. You know what I did with those? Nothing. They were too big. I just run around them. They were never my problem. It's those little bitty stones. It's little bitty things in your life that will cause you to stumble and fall. It's not going to be the great big thing. Boy, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. And so you just start. You don't read the Bible like you used to. Don't witness like you used to. Don't pray like you used to. Little things, you know, little bitty things. You know, just got so busy with life. You know, I just don't have the time. You just don't know. If you're too busy that you don't have any time for God, you are too busy. You need to cut out something, but not the things that make you strong. Never cut out things that make you strong. Even when I was going to Florida Bible College, and I averaged two and a half hours of sleep a night for the first two years, I was constantly on the job working, a full-time job, and going to school full-time, and then trying to keep my grades up. I thought I was going to die. I did several times. But it became hard. It was so strenuous. And then I sometimes seemed like I, I couldn't see down the road. I couldn't see, what's the value of all of this? How is this going to help me? Little did I know that it was preparing me for 50 years of ministry. I'm so thankful that I went ahead and stuck it out. But, you know, there were little bitty things that I let get in the, under my skin, as they say, a, a burr on the saddle. Things that would irritate me. Not the big things, it was the little bitty things. And it's so easy to get sidetracked. Every Friday, I quit Bible college. But we'd go to church on Sunday, and I promised that I'd be there to teach. So because I gave my word, I'd be there. And because I told Dr. Stanford, I'll be there to take that class on Sunday nights, the youth director, I was there. After church was all over with, We'd go down to Coconut Grove, and Hank Lindstrom and me and some of the others would play guitar, and Wally and Mel's and all of them, and we'd sit around with the benches down there at the lake, and we would we'd sing songs. We call it afterglow. You know, you need a time to, to glow a little bit. So we would sing and give testimonies, and one after the other would give a testimony. You know, I'm so thankful for Yankee. If he can make it, I can make it. They didn't know I just quit Friday. <laughs> Monday, I'd be back in college. We kept each other going. All of us were a bunch of quitters. We just can't go anymore. 
But when we got together, we encouraged each other, prayed for one another, and everybody was having problems of all kinds. But all we had was each other. We had the Lord. And they figured because Yankee was married and had two kids, and I was the oldest one there. I was 22 when I went. They were 18, 19 years old, but was it worth it? Yes. God is teaching you things. So watch the little decisions. Little things that you don't think really matter or things you'll stumble over. Number 10, the crown of rejoicing will produce eternal joy. Did you know that those things that he mentioned about the judgment seat of Christ, when the Lord appears and we see the people, he says, for ye, the people, you are my crown of rejoicing. Well, if they are his crown of rejoicing, how long would they be there? Forever. And you can have eternal joy. Forever. Just seeing the people that were reached by your labors here on earth. God has given us on this side of the grave the opportunity to do wonderful things for him. And so therefore, we ought to be so thankful and forget about all the problems we were talking about in Sunday school class this morning. Here's Mary and Joseph. Think about all the problems that the first family had. They had a child, the Son of God. And look how their life began and all the problems they went through. Then they had to leave the country, go down into Egypt. And God brought them back. The things that were said about them. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord was just able to bring in those three wise men, oh, how many there were, and give them the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, the valuables that they needed just so they could go down into Egypt and have something to live on for about, you know, three years. Isn't that wonderful? How God provided in such a wonderful way. That's what God does. So um, do you want to be successful in God's eyes? Then be faithful. Be faithful to do the thing God wants us to do. What do you think is the closest thing to the heart of God? I believe soul winning is the closest thing to the heart of God that there is. There's nothing greater, nothing better. Why did he come into this world? You say to die for the sins of the whole world doesn't help anybody if they don't know it. If I had never been told, it wouldn't have profited me one iota. Somebody had to tell me. And that was my father-in-law. And so in 72 years, only one man has ever witnessed to me. And look how many churches I've been in all these years. How many seminars I've been to and revival meetings that I've been to. And nobody knew if I was saved or lost. Because they don't consider me as being lost. Most people just look at everybody's saved until we know differently. And I look at it, everybody's lost until I know differently. So just in case all of y'all are lost, I will give the gospel all the time as much as possible Faithfully, just in case, you might say, that's what he means. Now I get it. And I've had people do that, that have heard it for years, and all of a sudden, like a little light went on. Ding dong. Uh-oh. And they trust the Lord. 
This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. He hates our sin. But for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God wants us to go to heaven. So for us to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, but we're not perfect. You see, we have sin. God won't let sin into heaven because that's a perfect place. And we're not good to go. God cannot let us there. He even had Adam and Eve leave the garden for one sin. So one sin will keep you out of heaven. And God says you cannot earn eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't work your way to perfection. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ who had no sin didn't have to die. So why did he die? For us. He took our sins and paid for them. Now, why did he do this? So we wouldn't have to pay for them. He paid for our sins and came back from the dead. But this payment is not put to your account until you believe. He did that for you. He did this for me. So when I believe he did it for me, he puts this death payment to my account. I go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for me. That is the gift of God. He came back from the dead. And one day he's coming back again, and he's going to take all of those people who have trusted Christ as Savior out of this world. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would you right now, in the quietness of this moment, just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this. Lord, I don't understand it all. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me. And right now, I will trust him as my only hope of going to heaven. Friend, God said if you would trust him, he would save you and give you the free gift of eternal life. So with head bowed and eyes closed, is, is there anyone at all say, yes, that made sense to me, and I will trust Christ right now as my Savior? If you will, would you slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Anyone at all? If you're watching by Internet, right there on the screen, if you'll click it down to a small screen, says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. If you've never done so, I pray that you will. Let us know. Father, we thank you again for your blessings. And I pray, Lord, for this coming year, each one of us will realize the importance. It's just another year gone here. But maybe you'll give us an, one more year to work. And time is so valuable, so important. Help us to be wise, to always care to watch our testimony because we wouldn't want a lost person to reject this wonderful gospel because of something in our lives. So help us to guard our testimonies at all times. Bless each one for being here. Give us some fruit for our labors. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.